the cells, filled inside the shells. Santa is not pagan. I'll repeat that. Santa is not pagan. Do you ever hear Santa give glory to Lucifer or give glory to Zeus or give glory to Athena or Hermes or Schmermes or whoever? No, he doesn't. What does Santa always say? He says, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Not Merry Santa-mus or Merry any of them musses. It's always Christmas. Christ. Santa exalts Jesus every Christmas season. Every December, he comes on in. And it's all about Jesus. Santa is all about Jesus. So uh, don't say Santa's pagan. I know it. You're thinking it right now. Look down at that Starbucks cup. You see that goddess on your cup and you're drinking out of it and you probably didn't pray over that latte? You're a pagan. See, if you want to, you can paganize just about anything. But really what I think is going on here, people are just scroogey. They're just grinchy. They have no family. They have no friends. And they just get weird around Christmas time because family and friends don't mean much to them. But this Christmas, we are podcasting the idea that living is with people. I get it. Being alone and knowing how to operate alone is a power. It is a power. It is a gift if you know how to do it. But uh, for the most, most of us, we got to have family and friends. What you sow is what you reap. Uh, you will reap what you sow, however you want to put it. And this entire year has been a year where everybody has had plenty of time to establish better relationships with their family and friends. Sure, you had to do it through the phone. You had to do it through your uh, tablet, your device, or whatever. You had to do it, but we were stuck at home. And parents, I hope you spend as much time with those children as possible because we're going to get through this. And I hope you've enjoyed... Uh, this season of not being that busy because COVID-19 has come here to leave and things are about to get really busy, 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 busy. Take time with those children, make memories with those children. I mean, we've been going to just about every Christmas uh, excursion we can do. Uh, We went to a live nativity that a church here in town did and man, was it fun. (laughs) And the greatest part of all was going by the uh, by King Herod and his Roman soldiers. Oh, that was funny. Those Roman soldiers were hilarious. We pull up and they, they say, how many are in this chariot? <laughs> and we're like four. And they said, are you lying? We don't want anybody uh, not paying taxes for, for our, however many are really in this household. We're like, no, there's four of us. <laughs> he was talking to my kids. Hey. You want to join my army? I have a spear for you to use. Emelina said, I don't have a sword, but I have a fly swatter. <laughs> oh, that was funny. I'll never forget that. And then as we were about to drive off, I shouted, we have no king but Jesus. <laughs> the guy got quiet. He had to remain in character. Oh, it was fun. You see, Christmas is, is of course, all about the Savior. And the joy and the peace and just the 
uh, feeling of love that you get in the Christmas story, God manifested in the flesh. But all of the other things surrounding Christmas, the Santa, the the reindeer, all of, you know, the elves, the North Pole, Mrs. Claus, all of that, that's all designed for fictitious family fun. It's fictitious family fun, but it all centers around Christ. It all centers around Christ. Look, as a kid, I always knew Santa was pretend. I figured it out. I knew he was pretend, but I acted as if he was real. And I do that still to this day. However, if you want to know a secret, do you want to know a secret? I bet you want to know a secret. I may have quit believing in Santa, but I've never stopped believing in the elves. I've never stopped believing in the elves. I love the elves. You're here to listen, and I'm here to talk. This is Spirit Signal with Justin Gleason, a God, Bible, and Church podcast, podcasting to you on a regular basis in the year 2020. This podcast is available on all of the major podcasting platforms, the mediocre podcasting platforms, the minority podcasting platforms, anywhere you want to get podcasts. There it is, Dove Tower, right there with Spirit Signal with Justin Gleason. So please consider subscribing, giving us a great review and rating, and please tell somebody about Spirit Signal. Contact me at spiritsignaljg at gmail.com. Follow me on Facebook pages, Instagram, Twitter, and Parler, all at Justin C. Gleason. Scroll down and reference the episode notes for details. Podcasting is the here and now. Do you feel like you need guidance and support? I recommend you contact Yes Life Matters at 913-378-8794. Yes Life Matters offers faith-based counseling, assistance in resolving issues and conflicts, conflicts, guidance through healing and forgiveness, life coaching, counseling for blended families, grief counseling, financial consulting, and mentoring. The holidays tend to bring out discouragement, depression, and dysfunction. So don't turn to drugs, alcohol, porn, or suicide this holiday season. Contact Yes Life Matters at 913-378-8794 and tell them Spirit Signal with Justin Gleason sent you. Christmas has traditionally been celebrated for the last 200, or excuse me, 2,000 years here in in early winter, December. You look at history books, this is always when Christmas is celebrated, the birth of the Savior. There is really no debate about it at all until uh, in recent years, some uh, doubters of this have raised their voices across their pulpits their social media out far out in the woods, wherever they are, claiming that Jesus was not born on Christmas. And normally, you know, most of us just kind of ignore it and go on our way, but I believe there's an agenda out there within the scope of fringe Christianity that is trying to dismantle truth. 
you know, they went after the name of Jesus and saying that Jesus is not the name of Messiah. It is Yeshua. Okay, if you are living in Western Iraq and you speak the ancient language of Syriac or the ancient uh, language uh, that they call Aramaic, yes, Yeshua is that very name. Or if you're uh, from Galilee uh, during during that t- during the time of the first century, Galileans who spoke kind of a variation of Aramaic, they wouldn't have said Yeshua; they would have said Yeshu. That's probably what Gabriel said to Mary. You shall call him Yeshu. But it's a name uh, that's translated all the way back to ancient Hebrew, Yehoshua, meaning God's salvation. Yehoshua into Hebrew, to Aramaic is Yeshua, to Galilean Aramaic is Yeshu. But as the uh, church grew across the Greek and Latin-speaking countries, the Aramaic Yeshua... Yeshua was translated into Jesus as Christianity moved westward. Jesus into English is Jesus. And you know this name works. The Spirit witnesses this. The Spirit testifies of this. We've baptized people in this name. And them coming up out of the water, there is a change that happens. It's a sign that there is power in the name of Jesus. I have prayed for the sick many, many times in the name of Jesus and they are healed. I have prayed people through to the Holy Spirit by the sign of speaking in other tongues in the name of Jesus, and they're healed. I've cast out devils in the name of Jesus. Oh, they fear that name. The devils fear it. Uh, I have yet to hear of a, of a Yeshua-type person uh, cast a devil out in the name of Yeshua. Don't It, for, <laughs> it don't work. And, and they can't heal anybody in the name of Yeshua. I think it is just a movement of people that got disgruntled they, they didn't get the position, the title they wanted in, in the uh, regular church, so they left and started their own deal and created an enemy out of all of us. Well, that isn't going to work. That is of men. You need to repent, apologize to your pastor, and get back to where the truth is preached. That's right. It's no time for heresy. It's no time for heresy. But it says in the last days there would be scoffers, people who would tell lies, and there would be great heresies, so it's all signs of the end of time. And people are being deceived by it, but I want to say to you, listeners of the Spirit Signal podcast, don't get caught up in the middle of all of that. Don't go down with it. Well, another heresy out there is that Jesus wasn't born at Christmas time. Well, I'm going to prove it to you through the Bible that the Christmas story, notice I didn't say the birth of Jesus, but rather the Christmas story, did in fact happen around December. I can prove it to you. You go back in your Bible to 1 Chronicles 24, verses 1 through 19. King David divided the priestly order into 24 divisions by lot. That is really interesting, the number 24. You have their 24 priestly divisions mentioned. That came from from uh, the the line of Levi, Aaron, and all of that. The priesthood. There's 24 divisions that would serve in the temple. 24 divisions, 24 priestly families. You know what's really cool is you look in Revelation. How many elders are sitting around the throne of heaven? 24. You know, David had a a glimpse and a revelation of heaven, and he wanted the temple to look like heaven, and he understood that there were 24. 
uh, men or elders around the throne of heaven, and David wanted that very same thing in the temple. At least that's what I think is going on there. It's just uh, typology, uh, patterns that you see from the Old Testament to the New Testament and all the way up into heaven itself. So you have there in in First uh, Chronicles 24 priestly divisions, and what they would do is they would serve uh, every year a full week of seven days in the temple, you know, doing the sacrifices, taking care of the table of showbread, lighting the golden candlestick, doing all of the incense, all of that. So a seven-day period going from one Sabbath to the next. They would do this twice a year. So each of these divisions would serve twice a year, okay? All of them would then serve on the high feast days, referencing Deuteronomy 16 and 16. Unleavened bread, the Feast of Weeks, and Tabernacles. All 24 of the priestly divisions would serve during those um, high holy, holy feasts. So beginning in the first month, the Hebrew month, Nisan, that first week of that month, the priestly order of Jehoiarib would serve. Then you had the second week, Jedidiah would serve. Then you had the third week, which would be unleavened bread. All priests would then serve. Well, then you'd have the fourth week. The priestly schedule would resume with the third division of the priests, Haram. You then would come all the way to the tenth week after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, after the Feast of Weeks, and that tenth week of the Hebrew year would be the eighth division of of Abijah. Remember that, Abijah. So then the ninth week, the tenth week would follow, the eleventh, the twelfth, all the way to the twenty-fourth division of Maaziah. Maaziah. Then after the twenty-fourth division, the priestly cycle would then repeat, starting again with the first, Jehoiarib, and continued uh, all the way down to the twenty-fourth, the last one, to complete a full yearly priestly temple service. Okay, with this arrangement doing during a Jewish lunar calendar, and this is where it can get tricky uh, for us here uh, that are listening in this time with with a Western mindset. We go off a solar calendar, the the Gregorian calendar that the uh, the Romans gave us. Well, in the Bible, the Hebrews went off the lunar calendar. They didn't go by the sun; they went by the moon. So this is where it can kind of get confusing. But if you take time. Slow down, read it slow, listen slowly. You can understand this. Okay, I'm going to keep going. These 24 priestly divisions would be complete after one lunar year, and then the cycle would repeat again the next year, each of the 24 priestly divisions serving two weeks out of the year, plus all the 24 priestly divisions would serve then three times a year during the high feast days giving them five total weeks of service, two of them being just with their own individual priestly order. So that is how David established the priesthood. That's the schedule that they followed. And you and, and go back in your Bible there in uh, the book of First Chronicles, chapter 24, and you can read about the 24 priestly orders. Uh, yes, all of that. And you can also uh, reference First Chronicles 9, 2 Chronicles 23, 
I think I mentioned Deuteronomy 16. There's other information there on how they divided up this yearly schedule for the priest to serve. You then read in the book of Luke, chapter number one, it says, verse five, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while they were, while he was serving as priest before God, in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. The whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. So, you know, you read the Christmas story, nowhere does it say, now on December 25th, Mary brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. You don't have that. You don't have those old Roman names for months. You don't even have the Hebrew names uh, for any of the months in this. The only timetable, the only time reference that we have through the Christmas story is this right here, Zacharias, which would have been Jesus' second cousin. He was a priest after the order of Abijah. Abijah, according to, uh, to uh, the priestly order that David established, was the eighth division. The eighth division. So the angel Gabriel comes. He declares the word of the Lord to Zacharias. And he and his wife Elizabeth, that they would give birth to a son. Call his name John. Zacharias... Uh, Zechariah, Zechariah, which, whichever it is, we'll, we'll go. I'm going to stick with Zechariah. Zechariah's first yearly temple service, it would have happened on the 10th week of the year. On the second Sabbath of the third month of the Hebrew month, Sivan, which would have happened in our calendar, either in May or June. Okay. Zechariah was of the 8th division of Abijah. He would have served twice a year in that division and then three times during the high feast days. Okay. During his first temple service, it would have happened on the 10th week of the year, on the second Sabbath, the third month Sivan, which would have been May or June, probably June. We're going to stick with June here. Probably June. So John's conception would shortly follow that. This would place the birth of John in the first month of Nisan, which is our March or April. Okay? Our March or April. Zechariah would then serve his second yearly temple service in the 34th week of the Jewish year. On the second Sabbath of the seventh month, Tishrai, which would have been somewhere around September to October. Please note, this Sabbath would have been on the Day of Atonement. John's conception could have been shortly following that. 
this would place the birth of John either June or July. So Zechariah would have served in the temple during unleavened bread weeks and tabernacles during that year, yes. But you take a look at what it says in Luke chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. It says Zechariah was serving during his priestly order, his order of his division, the custom of the priesthood. It was his lot to burn incense before the Lord. So here during this uh, passage in Luke 1, I don't think Zechariah is serving during any of these feast days, during unleavened bread, weeks, or tabernacles. But it says language like his order of his division. So it's not during a feast day. It's actually during either the 10th week or the 34th week of the Jewish year. One or two of these weeks during the priestly division. So now we're getting a timetable. Now we're getting a timetable here. All right. You read on over into Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. The angel of the Lord visits Mary in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, keep in mind, this is not the sixth month of the Hebrew year. Uh, the sixth month, I think, is El Elul. Okay. That, it didn't happen then. That's not based upon the, t the context of the scripture. Okay. It's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, according to Luke chapter 1. Okay, this also would put the conception of John in the month of Adar, which contradicts both Zechariah's priestly division, which we've kind of gone over. So it didn't happen in the sixth month of the year, but rather the sixth month of the pregnancy. Okay, all right, so now keep all of this in mind. If Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, during his first priestly division in the month of Sivan, around May or probably June, this would place the conception of Jesus in the ninth month, Kislev, or around November or December, the season of Christmas. I'll say that again. The Bible tells us emphatically in Luke 1, that Elizabeth had been pregnant for six months with John. And in that sixth month, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, the Holy Ghost has conceived the Son of God in your womb. Okay, Zacharias of Abijah. Abijah, during his priestly order, the first week he would have served throughout the year, would have happened in June. So let's count six months from June, July, August, September, October, November, and sixthly, December. That would have placed the Christmas story, the conception of Jesus, in December. Okay, you then count nine months later. Jesus wouldn't so much have been born in December, but he was at least conceived in December. And really, according to a lot of Jewish resources that I have found, Life doesn't begin at birth. Rather, life begins at conception. Come on, somebody, pro-life. Yeah. They marked the age of the child at conception. All right? So I'm going to say this again. The first week of, or if, if, if Zechariah would have been serving in his priestly division, and it would have happened during his first week of service in the temple, burning incense and all of that, that would have happened in June. Okay? 
Six months later, which would have been December, Gabriel appears to Mary. You have conceived, which would have placed the birth of Jesus nine months later, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, being born uh, in September. But you then, but then back to what I've said, the title of this, the Christmas story happens in December. Jesus would have been conceived in December. All right. All right. But let's go on further. Let's go deeper. Think about this. What if Gabriel would have appeared to Zechariah during his second priestly division, which would have been the seventh month, Tishri, which would have happened in September? September. Zechariah would have been serving in September. Count six months after September. October, November, December, January, February, March. March would have been around the time of Passover, mind you would have been the time that Gabriel would have appeared to Mary. All right? You then count nine months later from March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, and in the ninth month, December. Jesus would have been born in December. Wow. So there's your timetable. Study the course of Abijah when it happened throughout the year happened the 10th week of the year and the 34th week of the Jewish year. That first time it would have happened in June. The second time it would have happened in September count six months, all of that. It either places the birth of Jesus in December, December or the conception of Jesus in December. All right. So whether it's the first or second priestly division of Zechariah, Abijah, all that doesn't matter. According to the Bible, not according to the doctrines, the false teachings of the Yeshua house of Yahweh, return to the law, apostle Paul, corrupted Christianity, all of that, all, all of them wackos out there. Now, according to the Bible with the course of Abijah, Jesus is either born or conceived during the Christmas story. Let me just repeat that again. You should go back and listen to all of this. I know it's a lot to take in. It's it's deep, deep stuff. It takes it took me hours to put this all together, and uh, I, I I did uh, uh, look at some other resources. Check your episode notes. We'll include some of that information down there below. Let me t- let me tell you this again. If Zechariah would have served in the first service of Abijah, it would have happened in our month, June. All right, six months later, Gabriel appears to Mary. The month of December, Jesus could have been conceived in December. Major part of the Christmas story. Or if Zechariah served in his second priestly division of the order of Abijah, it would have happened in September. Count six months later. Jesus would have been conceived in March. Gabriel would have appeared in March. Nine months later, Jesus would have been born in December. All right. Now, so which one is it? Which one is it? Well, it's not all speculation. You just kind of have to look at the Bible. And what does the language of Scripture suggest? Well, in Luke chapter 1, it talks about Zacharias serving uh, he was he was serving, and it uses 
uh, Day of Atonement language. Now, Zechariah would have been serving during his second priestly division, which would have been in the fall, September. All right. Zechariah and, and his wife Elizabeth were both judged according to Scripture. It's, it says here, uh, righteous, walked in the commandments of the Lord. They were blameless, offered incense, and the multitude stood outside at the hour of incense. Uh you know, and and then you you have um, the phrase "your prayer is heard." All of those things, things like walking righteously, keeping the commandments, blameless, the incense, your prayer is heard. All of that—that that is Day of Atonement language. So you know what I think? I think Gabriel came that year in September during Zachariah's second service, the thirty-fourth week of the lunar year. Even take a look at church history. Church historians, all of them, they all put the time of Christmas there in the first century to be in a late in late December. The birth of the Lord happened in late December. Hippolytus, second century, says this. John Christendom in the fourth century. You know, old, old, old historians of the church have all attested to this, that the early church always celebrated the birth of the Lord in December. And traditionally, it was on December 25th. There's really never been a question about it until recent years. And it's just interesting that here in these recent years, there's been so much false doctrine taught about the second coming of Christ the name of Christ, and now the birth of Jesus. They're going after Christmas. And I don't like the spirit of it because it tries to dismantle the message of salvation, the message of giving and hope of this season, and it is trying to dismantle family. These people that are after Christmas, Jesus said you'll know men by their fruits. Look at their fruits. How do they treat their wives? How do they treat their kids? You know, some of them, I'm not going to say names. I know some of these guys, they're the type of guys, you know the type, their wives left them and their kids don't want to have anything to do with them. They're just dysfunctional people. And a lot of times your morality will determine your theology. If you live crazy, you're going to believe crazy. Don't get into crazy. You need to forgive. You need to move on and get back to believing what the Bible has said all along. I want to read to you from another uh, resource, Alfred Edershim. He's not a Christian. Actually, he is. I think he would claim that. But he's really into the Jewish stuff. And with a name Edershim, I can't say I blame him. But he is a rabbi. And I'm assuming he believes Jesus is Messiah. I don't know. Never met him. Just read his writings. He is a scholar. He's regarding the birth of Jesus in late December. And he said there is no adequate reason for questioning the historical accuracy of this date. The objections generally made rest on grounds which seem to me to be historically unattainable. All right. Another resource here. The first, it's a first century Aramaic source document. This document is called the Scroll of Fasts. Oh, God. Please, Lord, tell me they left out an E in there. Maybe the scroll of feasts. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Yeah, the scroll of fasts. 
you know, it's Christmas time. It's, most of us don't fast around Christmas time, okay? Anyway, the scroll of the fast. This is an old document. It refers to late December as the time of the birth of Jesus Christ. So biblically, it places the Christmas story, either his conception or his birth, probably his birth in December, based upon the timetable beginning with the course of Abijah that Zacharias served. You then have all of these early church fathers writing that Jesus was born in December. You have rabbis saying the birth of Messiah happened in late December. And then you have an old document, the Scroll of the Fasts, written in ancient Aramaic in the first century. And it puts the time of Jesus' birth in late December. I mean, if I had a gavel, I'd slam it on the table right now. But I'm not going to do that because I'm not a judge. I'm Justin Gleason, the preacher and teacher and podcast host. All right. So, yeah, well, some say, OK, let's look at history. When, you know, when did Caesar, you know, call for the census and when did Herod, you know, enforce the census in Judea? Well, I have combed through hours trying to find resources of this. I can't find it anywhere. And I've talked to other people that have looked for this. It's not in history. It is not in history. Okay. But you think about this. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. That's the time of Herod Archelaus, the ruler of Judea. He's the one who would have enforced Caesar Augustus' registration. Like I said, it's not recorded in history. But it's safe to assume that no census would be taken during a Jewish festival, i.e. the eight days of Hanukkah that occur in mid-December. Otherwise, this would have probably really angered the Jews and caused political dissension. So the census was probably taken right after Hanukkah in late December. You know, to kind of do it right before it really gets cold. And then, of course, to be ready for tax season, which happens in the springtime. Oh, yeah. That goes back to the Romans. Yeah, that ain't an American thing. Oh, that's a Western Greco-Roman thing. So, yeah, you, you have that there. Uh, if you're listening to this and you find some history on when Caesar August, Augustus uh, uh, made the command for this census, man, contact me. Let me know. I'd love to see it. Okay, some say, okay, yeah, you have shepherds out in the field. Who's out there with their sheep during during the coldy the cold winter season? Well, I've read Jewish sources that suggest that shepherds around Bethlehem were kept outside year round. You want to know why? Because Bethlehem shepherds and their sheep were special because they belonged to the, the Levitical priesthood. These were the Levitical shepherds. And they kept the sacrificial lambs for the priests to offer in the temple. These were the shepherds that supplied the lambs for the daily sacrifice people. All right? The people that brought their approved lambs and whatever were out blemished, yeah, they used those. But the main source of lambs to be sacrificed to keep peace with God all came from Bethlehem. So, yeah, they would have taken care of those sheep. They wouldn't have just, you know, locked them away and forgot about them. No, they would have taken them out to try to help them find green pastures and still waters, you know, even during the winter times. And, hey, I've been over there. Their winters are not that severe. They don't get snow like we do in the great north of the United States of America. Okay. we Yeah, it's different over there. 
But you think about this, the angelic host of heaven that appeared the night that Christ was born, it appeared to Bethlehem shepherds. They're taking care of sheep that would have been offered for the sins of Israel. And how appropriate for that. Because Jesus was the perfect spotless lamb. He wasn't born among farmers. Oh, no. He wasn't really born among the fishermen. He was born among the shepherds. He was the lamb, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He was that beautiful spotless lamb that would take away the sins of the world. Praise God. So you know what? This Christmas, you really are celebrating the birth of the Lord. Maybe not on the exact day. We can only speculate that. But according to the Bible, as recorded in the pages of this holy book, there is a timetable for us. According to history, Jesus was born in late December. And I also want to say this. We also have the Holy Ghost with us. And every Christmas that I have ever celebrated since I've been full of the Spirit, there has always been a witness given to me of the Holy Ghost that what I am celebrating, the timing is accurate. It is accurate. And you know what? I've asked God to confirm that to me, and he has. He was born. He was born this time. That's why this season is so special. The spirit world knows it. The angels are moving at this time. It is a time of year that the spirit world itself recognizes because it was this time, 2,000 or so years ago, that God was manifested into flesh, fulfilling prophecy. Praise God. That's why we're a very, very peaceful people, a happy people, because the Son of God has come to save us from our sins. Praise the Lord. Astronomers are reporting that the world will see the Christmas star, or as some call it, what I like to call it, the Star of Bethlehem. This coming Sunday, December 21st, the year of our Lord 2020, that the Christmas star, the Christmas star, is going to appear in the sky. You know, I, I love Christmas movies, and one of my favorite ones the past couple years is this movie called The Star. Oh, it's so cute. And, and one of the reasons why I like it is because you look at just how the people are dressed, how their houses look, how Herod's palace looks, how just the outside looks, how everything looks. It's actually pretty accurate to what Galilee and Judea would have looked like during that time. Even how the people look, they really captured how the culture was uh, back then in the first century. And you want to know what else is accurate? The angels, the ones that appear to Mary, the one that appears to Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds. Some of the angels I've seen that have that bluish silver tone to them and are transparent. Uh, whoever made that movie, somebody, they must have talked to, to a Pentecostal that's seen angels because they got that pretty accurate. And that was just so uh, neat to see. But, but anyway, yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, I think you and your family would love it. All right, but what this star is that's going to appear in, in the night sky this coming Sunday evening, it is a rare Christmas star. 
is what they're calling it in the news, the rare Christmas star, the star of Bethlehem. So it's a it's a rare event, and it hasn't been seen in almost eight centuries. Eight centuries, so this is really special. What's going to happen is the two largest planets in our solar system are going to align. And when they align at night, these two you know, giant planets are going to double in size, creating the biggest star. So this is often called the Christmas star or the star of Bethlehem. So when this happens, the planets line up, uh, making the start of the winter, uh, making it the start of winter. You know, some are saying this double planet, this rare event hasn't been seen in a long time. So yeah, the, you know, a lot of the new agers are talking about the planets aligning. Well, they're, you know, the planets really aren't going to be close at all. It's just going to look like it here uh, to us viewing from Earth. It's going to look like one giant star. It's really just they're aligning from our point of view. So it's a large, bright star, okay? All right, now think about this. You have wise men or in other modern translations of the Bible, the, the magi. It says that they were from the east. They would have observed a star from a far away land. And there's been documentaries written about this. People have gotten uh, software uh, with all of the, the cosmos and the pattern of uh, the constellations and things like that and have gone back you know, into the year uh, AD 0 and have studied this and uh, the star of bethlehem it's a phenomenal documentary what i'm talking about great great uh i've watched it and i liked it and i believe it the idea is here these magi who are wise interpreting signs in the heavens and signs on the earth they observed the constellation leo the lion the planet venus and the planet jupiter and the star regulus these uh persians babylonians whoever they are from the east they would have taken the lion, the constellation Leo, to represent Israel. Venus, the planet, would have represented uh, motherhood, Virgin Mary. Jupiter stood for the fatherhood or the kingship of Messiah. And Regulus symbolized royalty. And I know some of you are saying, oh, no, 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 no. It had to have been an angel or a, a, a massive bright light shine. Well... <laughs> The Bible says they saw a star, all right? You have angels appearing to the shepherds. Those angels don't look like stars. I know in some other places in the Bible, angels are referred to as stars symbolically, you know, like Jesus is symbolically referred to as a lamb. In some places, angels are referred to as stars because they come from the heaven and they're shining bright light or whatever. Okay, but these wise men were not following an angel. It was an actual star, a being, a luminary, up there in the sky, okay? Don't let constellations and stuff freak you out, all, all you uh, pagan phobia people. You know, uh, the Bible mentions the Zodiac. It sure does. Now, it's not, uh, you know, your, um, the Zodiac and all the worship of the stars and your horoscope and all of that. No, it's... You know, God gave them the stars names. God knows the names of the stars. God created the stars to be signs and seasons for us, Genesis 1. But you look at Job chapter 38, verses 1, verses, uh, what is it, 31 through 33, right here. I'm looking at this. God refers to star constellations. And the New King James mentions the Pleiades. That's the seven-star cluster in the constellation of Taurus. Uh, 
the uh, the belt of Orion. That's the three star cluster in the the constellation of uh, of uh, Orion. Uh, the Mazaroth, which is Hebrew for constellation. Speaking of astronomy, mentions the Great Bear, which is the star constellation Ursa Major. Uh, you can uh, look at all of this. Uh, even Wikipedia has good stuff on this. Look it up. You notice in the Bible it never says sun, moon, stars. Or it always just says sun, moon, and stars. It does not include uh, the name of any planets. That's because in that time, planets were all simply called stars. You just had sun, moon, and stars. Planets were oftentimes called wandering stars. It's because of the planet orbit. The planets that orbit, Earth is orbiting, the planets are orbiting, and because of the orbit, sometimes uh, the next night, Mars may appear a little more left than it did the night before, a little more right. They're wandering. That's just because of of uh, orbit. So the theory is these magi, these wise men, saw an alignment of planets that created a bright star and they came following it, well, then the star disappears. Well, then it reappears. It disappears. It reappears because the orbit of the planets is wandering. So they appear bright and they, and they don't appear bright. They appear bright. And they followed them and finally the star, the direction of it, led them right out, uh, right to wherever Jesus was at that time. They followed a star. And, and even... Um, I think I read here, I'm kind of going off the little notes I wrote down here. It was uh, Plato wrote about the Magi. The Greeks were uh, fascinated with the Magi, the wise men of the East, and their interpretation of of the sky. They could accurately determine uh, kings that were born, wars that would happen, earthquakes. They just believed that... uh, the ancient god of the world, they, actually they probably believed in gods, they believed that the heavens were a billboard and you could foretell the future uh, with all of those things. They just believed in signs. And, you know, there's something to that. Now, we don't believe it as uh, they taught probably in, in uh, Babel or the ancient Egyptians and all that zodiac and stuff. But, you know, I believe in signs. I believe the sky speaks to us. God gave us the sun, moon, and stars, Genesis 1, for signs and seasons. You know, you take a look at Jesus. He died with, with under a darkened sun, you know, under an eclipse, okay? Uh, you take a look in Revelation. You have the virgin who was about to give birth to her son, and there is the dragon above her. All right, you remember uh, a few years ago, September 2017, everybody was flipping out that Revelation 12 was about to uh, to be fulfilled because the constellation of Virgo, <laughs> as it was setting, it was right near the constellation Draco, which is the dragon, and the sun, when it was setting, would be right at the feet of, of that constellation, and then you had uh, Jupiter appearing right in the womb, right in the center of the star constellation Virgo. I remember uh, preaching and teaching about that. Man, we had a move of God that night. <laughs> you never thought, hey, the stars, come on, people's getting the Holy Ghost. But, you know, those are like star constellations. And I believe it, I don't think Revelation 12 was necessarily fulfilled, but it certainly is interesting that this is happening uh, during this time. And who knows, it may have been fulfilled and all is coming to pass uh, in the book of Re- Revelation. But, okay, aside from that, think about this. Just think about this. Keep an open mind. This is spirit signal. We uh, try to send out spiritual things, and hopefully you're getting some good reception to it. Think about this. In 2008, the night 
that Barack Hussein Obama was elected. I remember going outside that night and looking up in the sky and seeing a star right next to the crescent moon. And the, and I could hear it on the news. People were saying, oh, look, there's a crescent moon and a star. And all these Muslims were so excited because it was a sign in the sky that a Muslim was elected to be president. You know, there was a lot of controversy about that. Was Obama a Muslim or not? You know, I don't I never thought really Obama was an actual Muslim. Yeah, he, he grew up in Muslim schools. His dad was a Muslim, but I don't think he really practiced Islam while he was uh, in, in his political career. I, I don't think though. I don't think he got out a prayer rug on Fridays and, and bowed down to Mecca, you know, and and chanted all that stuff. I don't because Obama smoked. OK, he smoked, probably still smokes. Obama ate a lot of pork. Okay, and Obama's okay with people being gay. These are three things that Muslims are fiercely against. Obama was not so much a practicing Muslim, but rather what I think happened here is Obama was okay with pandering to international political Islam, giving them power, giving them a place. Uh, Just all of these Islamic nations of the world, who are mostly socialistic, by the way, they all had so much favor in the eyes of Obama. They, they, they weren't terrorists. They were freedom fighters in his eyes. You know, it's all that. But anyway, so it's interesting that the sky, there was a crescent moon with a star the night Obama was elected. Think about this in 2016 when President Donald J. Trump was elected. Not even a week after that election, you know what arose in the sky? A super full moon. It was a beautiful full moon, the most beautiful moon I've ever seen. (laughs) All right. I took that as a sign of the restoration of the fullness of the United States of America. Okay. Obama's elected under a crescent moon with a star, the symbol of Islam on their flag. And Obama's elected under us, or uh, Trump is elected then under a super full moon, a sign of the restoration of the fullness of America. You're then here in 2020. Oh, here we go. I, I, I can see it now. You're getting on the edge of your seat right now, and you're like, ooh, what's Gleason going to say next? <laughs> All right. This past election this year between Trump and Biden, what arose in the sky just a few nights before election on Halloween night? You know what they were calling it? Yeah, it's a big old orange moon. You know what they call it? A hunter moon. The hunter's moon. Ooh. I mean, we, we were here at the church that night. We had, a, we had a fall festival, fall festival, celebrating fall with, with pumpkins and all that. And I was talking to some of our guys about this, and one of our guys, actually our chief of security here at our church, he said, you know, that's a hunter moon. And I said, no way. He said, that's what they call it. I got out my phone and looked it up, sure enough. And he said, I said it could be a sign concerning Hunter Biden here on Halloween night that this election would bring the fear the evil and the demonic powers of the corruption of Hunter Biden, his father, and his family. Oof. Think about that. I'm not going to offer any more opinion on that. If you want to contact me personally, maybe we'll talk more about it. I don't know, but I've just seen it now. These past, so these past elections between Obama, Trump, and now this most recent one, the sky does strange things. And somehow it all ends up lining up. 
That's why we've got to be watchful and prayerful, as the Lord taught us. Amen. I I love to turn on this microphone and get out some notes and just talk and record. I I love to talk about what I see and what I'm feeling. I, lo- I love the subject of God, the subject of Bible, the subject of church, the subject of what the spirit world is doing all around us. I try to do my best to bring you content about these things. And but and I, I do this for God, but I also do it for the people. And I, I just love the reactions, the responses that you all send me. And I like to take time uh, to talk about them actually here on the air. Uh, I love it. People have been taking screenshots of where they listen to the podcast. And my favorite ones are people that take pictures of the car console and they've got SSWJG, you know, they got their Bluetooth on and they're listening to it there and they send me pictures of it. And I just, I just love that. And by the way, this podcast sounds amazing, you know, in a full blown stereo system in your car. So uh, try it out. It sounds good. To, but to me, podcasting, I'm kind of old school about it. I still use headphones and it's just me, my phone and the headphones. I don't like to listen to podcasts with everyone else around, but we're starting to branch out and do that. And it's it's been one of the biggest surprises to me. Uh, here on this podcast that people don't just listen to it privately, but like husbands and wives and family and kids listen to this all together. I'm like, what? My goodness, it's become a family show. That has surprised me. This podcast became a family show. And I'll tell you the second thing I'm most surprised about is how much people love the, uh, not headbanging, but I'd rather call it head moving. It is headbanging. But the... uh, The head moving music that we put in the beginning and ending of this. And, uh, you know, I, I listen to other what other Pentecostal podcasters are doing, and most of them have some kind of like R&B bumper music, a little bit of pop bumper music. And and that's great. That's fine. But a lot of it straight up sounds like uh, you're in a club. <laughs> You're in a club there to, uh, you're single there to mix and mingle. And I didn't want that. I'm not really a fan of that style of music. So I thought, well, maybe I can use like a praise and worship style music. Well, I don't, I, now I love church. I go to church. I'm a pastor at a church. I, I love churches by life, but I didn't want spirit signal to feel like church. You know, I didn't want to get on here and start preaching to you now. You know, I, nobody'd be listening to that. This is podcasting. This is talking this is conversation. It's not a worship service. So I didn't want it to sound like that. So we need to keep church sounding like church. I wouldn't get up in the pulpit and talk to them like I'm podcasting. Everybody walk out and leave. Nothing would happen. So there's just a quality of the thematics that you bring to the setting. And so with Spirit Signal, I didn't want it to sound like we're in a club. You know, I I, I didn't I didn't want the feeling of, ooh, I'm thirsty, you know, <laughs> to be there with the listeners. Okay, so that R&B stuff, is, it, it makes you thirsty. Country music makes you depressing. Okay, then you got rap. You know, people like rap nowadays. Okay, rap, in my opinion, when they invented it, they, they forgot to add a C to the beginning of it. Now, some of it's kind of cool, catchy, but for the most part, I don't like it. But anyway, that's regardless. If you like it, that's fine. That's your business. But you think about this. Rap is makes you lazy. It makes you want to sit down and do nothing. Okay, Rock is motivating. Rock is motivating. And Spirit Signal is a motivating podcast. That's why we do The Rock. And people love The Rock, and they love to listen to it with their family. And I was really worried about that until a sweet sister in our church come up to me 
earlier this year, and she says, oh, I love your podcast. And this is a lady that's been in Pentecost for over 50 years. And I'm just looking at her like she's, and I think of her as only the hymn book and no more, you know. But she says, and I love that music at the beginning and ending. Oh, it's so good. I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Sister Pentecost loves the rock. So, yeah. And and hopefully you all have enjoyed the Christmas music that we're uh, adding on to this as well. Yeah. But uh, thank you so much for the, all the feedback I get, the screenshots. Uh, all of that, you know, but also uh, the and the and the private messages, the direct messages, and the emails and all of that. But thank you so much to all of you who take time to actually rate and review this on Apple Podcast. That really helps out this podcast a lot, a lot. And and doing that is it's the really the best way right now that you can give back to SSWJG. So Dabmaster six nine that is. <laughs> Kind of a interesting username you got there, Dab Master. <laughs> this is, he says, this, he or she says, this is the message, people. Truth and honesty, humor and love. I like that. Thank you so much there, Dab. Ethan Guttridge says, love this podcast. Whenever I feel stressed or anxious, this podcast is a good spiritual and theological constant. Mm. In my life, that never fails to bring me peace. Oh, that's good stuff. D. Ray Waddles. I think I know who that is. He says, spectacular episodes. It's amazing. The knowledge of the word and the connections that you make. Wow. Thank you so much. Well, are you feeling alone this Christmas? Are you feeling pushed to the side? You know, Jesus knows all what that feels like. He sure does. You, know, you think about this. Anytime Jesus was in Jerusalem, nobody ever had a place for him to stay. He had to sleep outside. He had to sleep in mangers. He had to sleep on a mountain with a bunch of trees, the Mount of Olives. Nobody ever had a home for him. So this Christmas, make it about you and Jesus. I'm Justin C. Gleason. I believe in Santa. I believe in Mrs. Claus. I believe in the elves. Merry Christmas. I'll have a blue Christmas without you. I'll be so blue thinking about you. Decorations of red on a green Christmas tree. 